Good morning, 1910. Oh, wait. Good afternoon. It's been a great day today. I, I don't know how much you know of what's been going on with our church today, but um, our kids just got back from camp, our students yesterday. Uh, our kids just left for camp. Just uh, You might have seen the bus pulling out of the parking lot as you were coming up. Uh, we've had 10 to 12 people baptized today. Uh, we got to pray for our... Uh, Tecpan Guatemala missionaries are going to be leaving a week from today. Um, today is a great day. I'd say, let's go home before I mess it up. <laughs> well, okay, maybe not. Um, God does have some good stuff for us today, not because it's from me, because it's not from me, it's from him. Um, my name is Pastor Robert Chester. I'm the pastor of Care and Connection here at 1910 Church. Uh, no, Pastor Jason is not back yet. Um, our wonderful talented pastor. Actually, um, I, I think I just got something that he is about to, to speak himself. So um, let's do that. Let's, let's, uh, let's pray for him. Let's pray for us um, and our time together right now. So Lord, this has been a great day and it's not done yet. Um, you have so much that you want to do, so much that you want to say. I pray for, for timeliness. I pray for concise words. Um, Lord, we, we, we pray for Pastor Jason. Um, as, as he gets up to speak, Lord, uh, he's been away from us, but Lord, he's been working. He's been loving on people. He's been teaching. He did have a little bit of time, but I, I have a feeling he's still working. Um, so Lord, I pray your blessing over him. I pray that he would feel your delight as he speaks your word. And, um, I pray the same thing would happen here that, uh, that our people would hear from you, not from man. So we give you that Lord, we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're still in the Head on a Swivel series, and um, not to be left out, I want to give you um, a, a football story. Um, I was not, you know, world champion quarterback like our pastor is. Um, I was the lineman, and uh, linemen really weren't, uh, people didn't talk about linemen until they messed up. Um, and I was, uh, my, my senior year, I was left tackle. And, um, and, and for Pastor Jason, as a quarterback, that would be a very important uh, position to have because the left tackle protects the, 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 the quarterback's back. Um, so so that, uh, I know what, what, what happens when, when you get hit from behind, like Pastor Jason was talking about in his story. Um, but what, what he didn't tell you is that linemen have a specific word for that. It's called a lookout block. It means the guy passes you and you go, look out, and then he gets hit and then it's ugly and it really doesn't help much, but it makes us feel better. Um, but one of the things that I got to do um, as, as a lineman is I, I, I was a deep snapper for punts. And um, the, the great thing about deep snapper was that right when you snapped the ball, right when you threw the ball back to the punter, you got to run immediately. And um, it was fun because I liked the contact and and, and, and whether it was the, the blocker or the runner, I loved being able to just go full head on into somebody and take them out. And so <clears throat> uh, my story is, is uh, against our, our rivals. And we were a horrible team, so we were like, okay, at least we want to beat this team called Brazoswood. And so, <clears throat> you know, like I said, we're not that great, so we punted a lot. And um, one of those punts... Um, I'm barreling down the field, and I see the runner. 
and there's not a blocker in front of me. I have a, a clear shot at him, and I'm like, oh, Brazoswood game. Here's some glory that's going to happen right here. And right as I broke down to try to make the tackle, didn't have my head on a swivel, someone creamed me from behind. And just at that same moment, the runner lowered his head. He put his helmet right in my chest. Hit me so hard that, that you know, the, the laces that hold your, your, your pads together popped every one. And thankfully, the, the collision was hard enough that the runner actually fell. And so I sort of tackled him. Um, let's just say it was a tackle, you know. There was a collision and he fell down. I tackled him. Um, but in the midst of that, I didn't have my head on a swivel, but I got blocked in the back. And I thought this, this horrible tragedy, travesty has, had happened in the middle of this game. And if I could have caught my breath, because at the moment he had hit me so hard that I could not breathe, knocked the breath out of me, you know, I would have turned around and I would have said to that guy, come on, man, what are you thinking? You blocked me in the back. And I could go to the referee and say, come on, man, how much is Brazoswood paying you? You're supposed to throw a flag on that. So with this idea, come on, man, I want to show you a quick video that kind of leads into our topic today. Check this out. Come on, man. Come on, man. So, yeah, wow, thank you. So in our lives, we've got those people that we want to say, come on, man. But here's the issue. God has called us to love difficult people. We've got, we've all got difficult people in our lives. We all do. But if you're sitting there and you say, I really don't have any difficult people in my life. Well, you're probably that difficult person in other people's lives. Sorry, but that's just probably the case. So God has called us when we are called to love people, even the difficult people, we're called to keep our head on a swivel. So many times uh, as we have our head on a swivel and we see one of those difficult people, what do we tend to do? Oh, I think I'm going to look over here. We're, we're going to go talk to this person. We don't want to engage. We don't want to talk to the difficult person. But you know what? Uh, praise the Lord that Jesus is not afraid of difficult people. Uh, because in the big scheme of life, guess what? We're a difficult person. And Jesus... Uh, Jesus came and he died. Romans 5, 8 says, And God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if we want to have a little motivation to say, uh, Lord, I really don't want to. Well, okay, I think I do need to love someone because you loved me in the midst of my mess. In our biggest, deepest, most horrible sin, Jesus saw us on the cross and said, I will die for you. So God has called us to join him in loving difficult people. We look at Jesus' life, he was surrounded by difficult people. And I believe one of those groups of difficult people were the disciples. Um, I want to share uh, the story you guys have all heard. I just want to give it to you in just a little bit of a different uh, perspective. Matthew 14, 22 through 23 talks about um, Jesus walking on water. And to set the scene up here, um, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. He had done this incredible work with a few loaves and a few fishes. And, and you know, we had this big party and lots of stuff left over. And um, one of the things that tells me that Jesus felt like the disciples were difficult people 
is after that incredible day and all these great things happened, Jesus said, guys, why don't y'all go out in the boat for a while? I'm going to hang out with my dad. We're just going to, we're going to rest. We're going to chill a little bit and, and I'll see y'all later. Well, the, the story goes that, that later on, uh, much later on in the night, Jesus walks on the water out to the guys. They're still fighting the storm. And they see Jesus and Peter, probably one of the, the more difficult ones in the group, says, Jesus, if that's you, let me come to you. And Jesus is thinking, hey, great, fantastic. Step on up, brother. He comes out of the boat, thinks he's a bad man, suddenly sees the wind and the waves, and what does he do? He sinks. Jesus being Jesus, doesn't turn his back. He says, hey, it's okay. I'm going to grab you. When they get in the boat, the, the storm stops. And what does Jesus say to Peter? You of little faith. You of little faith. I think that if we were to translate the Bible again, I know the message is a pretty uh, relevant translation, but I think if we could translate the Bible again, I think we could maybe say there, Jesus would say, instead of you of little faith, he might say, come on, man. But instead, he may say the same words, but when we say them, when we saw those guys, we tended to be pretty critical, right? Pretty condemning even. What is that punter thinking? Oh my gosh. When Jesus said it, Scripture says that it was a gentle rebuke. It was really an encouragement. It wasn't condemning. It was encouraging. So just like on a, on a football team, when we got a player that's, that's having a hard time, he continues to miss his block or continues to miss assignments, and we have a choice, we can either say, come on, man, what's wrong with you? And condemn that fella. Or we can get him in the, in the huddle. We can grab him by his face mask and get in his face and say, come on, man, we can do this. You know your assignments. You can do it. I got your back. Totally different perspective. One is condemning. The other is engaging that person in their difficulty to say, I'm with you. I'm here to help you. I'm on your side. So let's take a, a few minutes and look at um, how Jesus loved difficult people. Number one, Jesus realized he had spirit-empowered divine appointments to love people, even difficult people. And you know the same is true with us. We are called not to live this life in our own little bubble, but we are called to step out of our comfort zone and realize that God calls us to love people, even difficult people. Matthew 5, 43, 47 says, have you, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What? Does that even make sense? Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? 
Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? So we're commanded. We're commanded to love those difficult people, even our enemies. Even those people that may even be out to get us. God calls us to love them, to even pray for them. Not pray that God would cause them to be a a greasy spot on the road somewhere, but that God would show them how much he loves them, show what he has for them, and even use us to do that in the process. The other passage is out of John 5, 19, and Jesus is talking about um, uh, how he sees what his father does. Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So not only are we called in a general way to love difficult people, I believe that there are specific people in our lives that if we spend time and say, Lord, I know that you're at work, and I want to join you in that work. So Father, open my eyes to those people in my life that I'm called to to love. I'm called to encourage. I'm called to come alongside of. But the issue is this. We have to understand that this love that God calls us to is not a love that we can manufacture. It is a love that can only come from him. So if we're going to love these people, especially the difficult people, we have to allow God through his Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. And so we may have a difficult person in our life, and we, we don't even want to love them. We don't even want to look at them. But we know in our hearts, because we've asked God to highlight those people, he wants us to love them. And so we have to move with the Lord like this and say, Lord, I don't even like this person. I don't even want to talk to this person, but I know you've called me to love them. I don't have that love in my heart, so I ask you, Lord, through your spirit, to love them in and through me. I surrender my will to refuse them and allow you to love them through me. And so we move and we engage them and we allow God to do what only God can do. Number two, what did Jesus do? He knew it was not his choice to give up or turn his back on difficult people. God is at work, especially in the church. We're called the body of Christ. So because we are the body of Christ, we cannot deny parts of us. Even if my toe hurts, I can't pretend it's not there. I have to take care of it. I have to even give it more attention. Even do things that may at the moment be uncomfortable and even painful. But ultimately are for the health of that toe and the health of my whole body. So we are called to love difficult people, especially those people that are in the body of Christ. Now let's look at a few types of people that fit into the difficult category. Um, Number one, the jerk. We all know one. Egotistical, critical, even toxic in our lives. God calls us to love them. The unmotivated or the lazy, those people that may work in our office that they're, they're freeloaders and we're like, ah, oh, those people drive me crazy. I want to strangle them. But God says, love them. 
even those who are not blessed with the gifts and talents that we have. We have that tendency when people are different than us and they can't do the things that we can do, we tend to maybe even look down on them. God calls us, number one, not to look down on them, but God calls us to come alongside them and appreciate their giftings and even help them grow in those things. Another category, the weak, insecure, and anxious. The chronic, the one who has the same issue all the time. The immature, those that just won't grow up. And then, you guessed it, the enemy. (laughs) The one that there's no doubt that that is a difficult person because they're out to get you. So scripture says we're called to love all of them. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, through the Holy Spirit, Paul shares this with us. He says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So God's called us to love the difficult people. Number three, Jesus knew it wasn't about him. If we're going to love people, especially difficult people in our life, we have to understand that we don't have a right to claim our rights, meaning our right to hold on to bitterness, our right to hold on to anger. Jesus was about engaging difficult people, but he knew it was always about their best. He had an agenda that was about them and not him. When we engage a difficult person, it can't be to make us feel better. It can't be to go out to them and to get them to be happy with us or approve of us or thank us. We're not even loving that difficult person for them to have a positive reaction. We're called to love someone because God's called us to love them. We're called to do those things in their lives no matter what the consequence looks like. Success in loving someone, especially a difficult person, comes in our obedience when we say yes to God to engage them in their life, to allow God to work through us. Success is not found in them totally changing their life and saying, oh, Robert, you're so awesome because you loved me the way I needed it. When we're obedient, we understand that we are releasing the power of God into that person's life. Not our power, God's power. Number four, Jesus expected people to act according to their nature. So many times with difficult people, we allow them to hurt us over and over and over again because we don't expect them to be who they are. Jesus knew who people were. He expected them to be a fallen, wounded, fleshly individual. And so it allowed him, the same way it would allow us to then minister to that person in their hurts and their needs and all the things that God wants to work on and not just how they might have hurt us. So number five, with that idea, Jesus looked past their actions to their need. Jesus understood that a happy, well-adjusted, whole person usually doesn't do things that put them in the difficult category. 
The people in your life that are those difficult people, those toxic people, those people that just get on your nerves, there's a very good chance that all that is going on there is that you are seeing them act out of that wounded, fleshly, fallen part of themselves. When we go into those relationships, it's crucial that we don't try to engage them in our own strength. Some of us try to scrape the bottom of our heart to try to give someone something. It's not very effective, even with the best of people. Paul shares in Colossians 8, I mean Colossians 1, 28 and 29, something that kind of blew me away when I first read it and understood it. He said this, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul was working hard to engage those in the church, to bring them to maturity. And we all know that church people can be difficult people, right? Not us, but the other ones out there. But Paul knew that he couldn't do it in his own strength. And so Paul said, I strain and contend with all the, not all my energy, but all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I have a feeling that's kind of a new concept for some of us out there. Some of us feel like it's, if, it's, if it's to be, it's up to me. And that's a lie straight from the pits of hell. The enemy wants you to go out on your own. The enemy wants you to try to live life in your own strength. Number six, Jesus knew forgiveness and grace are always a part of the process. When we deal with difficult people, it's crucial that we are always active in the process of forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ephesians 4.26 and 27 says this, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Forgiveness has got to be a part of it. But forgiveness doesn't mean what they did is okay. Forgiveness and the process of forgiveness is simply an act which says, I am not going to allow bitterness to take root in my heart. In the midst of forgiveness, number seven happens. Jesus knew boundaries with difficult people were appropriate. In the midst of those things that we have to forgive, it's okay for us to build some boundaries in the midst of that relationship with those difficult people to say, you know what, you can't go here again. That's as far as you go. I need you to stop. Doesn't mean we're not loving them. Doesn't mean we're not forgiving them. But it means that we are having healthy boundaries with people. Jesus himself used boundaries in the midst of his ministry, as he walked and, and, and ministered to people for those three years. There were several times in John 8, Luke 4, and John 10, where most of the time it was the religious leaders that were trying 
to do things to him. More than likely, it was a time when he said, I am God, or God the Father, I am his son. They would freak out, and they would try to either stone him or, or knock him off a cliff. And Jesus held those boundaries and said, no, this is not my time. And, and over and over again, it, I would love to see it, but it says he just walked right through the crowd. When we love difficult people, it's not about just enduring. It's about sacrificing. Jesus experienced pain, but he experienced pain on the cross. Because when he was on the cross, he was doing something for us, the difficult people. He was offering us a way to salvation, a way to experience this love and forgiveness. God has never called us in a difficult relationship to endure for nothing. God has called us to invest, even though investing is still hard. Number eight, Jesus knew confrontation was a healthy part of the relationship. If you look, Jesus, (laughs) you always think about Jesus being this very kind, sweet fellow, and he was, and he is. He's still there, you know, he's there, going to come back for us one day. But Jesus was very confrontational. Even with those in his life that you would not see a lot of confrontation. With the woman caught in adultery, what do you tell her? Go and sin no more. That's confrontation. The man who had been crippled for 38 years, he says, do you want to get well? He confronted the issues in his life. He was a difficult person. And then he says, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. He was about confrontation with the disciples. He was about confrontation with the religious leaders. But it was always appropriate. It was always led by the Holy Spirit. Some of us say, you know, I just want to be a nice person and I don't want to confront that person because I'm just a nice guy. And Well, I believe the way God looks at it, if he's called us to speak the truth in a a difficult person's life, and we don't do that, it's really about selfishness. We don't want to go through the struggle that it takes to do the hard things with people. Proverbs 27.6 says this, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Which means if we really love somebody, we're going to do the hard things that are for their best. A crazy thought is this. In those relationships, even those most close, those closest relationships, our calling in their lives is not to make them happy. Husbands, remember that. Wives, remember that. Our biggest goal, our biggest role is to do those things in that person's life that God has called us to. Sometimes it will make them very happy. Sometimes it won't. But if we walk in that obedience with Christ, that person in our life can always know that that thing that we do is always for their best and that we put their needs above our own. Confrontation. Ephesians 4.15, though, gives it a little bit of a, of a frame. It says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul said that that thing that we've got to do, 
It's got to be couched in love. It's got to be that thing that is not out of retaliation. Not to, I'm going to show you what you did. But it looks at their need. And those words are to build up. Come on, man. Lastly, number nine. Jesus knew breaking ties could possibly be the end result. It's not that God's turning their back on that person, but God says, okay, for now, I'm done using you in that person's life. But that can only come when it's led by the Holy Spirit. And when we're led by the Holy Spirit, it will never contradict the Word of God. Jesus told the disciples, if they go and they go to a community, go to a home, and they don't receive them to dust, knock the dust off their sandals and move somewhere else. Jesus encouraged us not to throw our pearls to swine. And even in a very sad situation, Jesus told Judas at the Last Supper, he said, what you're going to do, do it quickly. He had broken fellowship with him, not because he didn't love him, but, but his father said, this is what's going to happen, and I release you. So as we close, we're, we're faced with a decision when we see difficult people. We can approach them with this critical, condemning kind of, come on, man. Or we can choose to put our own rights aside and our own comfort and say, Lord, what would you have me do in that person's life? And God, in some way, will call us to engage that person and say, come on, man, let's do this. We can do this together. I have your back. I'm not going to turn my back on you. Believe it or not, we're called to make an impact in this world. We're called to sharpen our brother. We're called to love those that are hard to love, even with tough love. And I believe that if the church really grasped that, I believe our world would be a different place. There's a lot of people out there that are hurt. They're wounded. And they need the hands and feet of Jesus in their life to love them. For them to hear that there is hope. For them to understand that there is a better way. And I just think that if we as the church around the world embody that idea, I have a feeling some of the things that have happened lately may not have happened. So we have a call. We have a charge. This is a crazy world. There are people that are full of hate. But love is greater. Love is greater. What has God called you to do in this crazy world? You have a calling. Ephesians 2 talks about it. 
So as you stand with me and we close, I want to give you this challenge. Maybe there is a person in your life that is a difficult person. Maybe you have turned your back on them. Maybe you have harbored bitterness in your heart against them. As our ministry team comes forward, I want want to challenge you to not walk away, not to let the sun go down on your anger one more time. To say, I am not going to allow bitterness to control my heart. And you may be somebody out there today who's been that difficult person to God. Maybe you've turned your back on him. But you know what? He's never turned his back on you. He's always waiting. He's always ready to receive you. So if God's moving your heart in that direction, I want to invite you to come down also. And if you're a first-time guest here with us today, we would love to see you across the atrium in the garage and shake your hand, get to know you a little bit. But guys, don't leave here today without drawing a line in the sand with you and the Lord to say, okay, Lord, I'm ready for you to use me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are the God who is faithful. You are the God that pursues even the most difficult person the person who's furthest from you. And Father, we want to live this life in a way that when we are gone, there are your fingerprints on this world through us. So Lord, we need you. We pray against hearts of fear and we pray for hearts of boldness to go out into this world that needs you more than oxygen, to love, even to love the most difficult. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.